it's your kali what's up welcome we are presenting another episode of cps cruel public schooling It is the middle ground between unrest and discipline. Between injustice and corruption. And it lies between the pit of a student's fears. And the summit of their knowledge. This is the dimension of education. It is an area which we call the cruel public schooling. dimension that intends to scrutinize the CPS system through its core from a student's eyes. And welcome back. Remember, you are listening to Cruel Public Schooling, a segment where we talk about anything that revolves CPS or any corruption that could potentially affect, you know, students, teachers, or parents from CPS. Um, and I am your host, Melissa. And in this episode, we'll be talking about, about just experiences a lot of parents are having with remote learning and just take a little bit of look into the perspective of parents who are currently dealing with remote learning and making sure their kids are receiving you know the best education possible and we actually have a very special interview with a mom from Tepochcali named Simone and her experience about you know remote learning with her daughter Nia and and then this interview we just talk about her experiences remote learning and how it might differ from you know parents who who are responsible for a lot of kids and just how she balances you know remote learning in her life um and then just at the end you're going to hear her daughter talk about the kind of a short little interview with her but her experiences with remote learning and just just if she likes it or not i would have to remind you know um this interview was recorded around the around the beginning of october so this probably won't um this perspective might change you know um but i do think it's still very essential to know you know how experiences in remote learning could differ from parent of parents from families families or households to households but yeah definitely i did enjoy this interview a lot i thought it was really eye-opening in the sense that you know a lot of parents don't have that same experiences but it still doesn't invalidate if you know that parent is having hardships or not but definitely i did i did find this interview very enlightening but yeah it was she was really easy to talk to so so my name is Simone Alexander I am a parent of a third grader who goes to Tepochcali elementary school we live on 25th street between Sacramento and Francisco and Tepochcali's kind of across the street right it's like down Francisco and across the boulevard so we live very close to the school. I've been living in Little Village since 2005, so for about 15 years. So Tepochcali shares a building with Salcedo and the Salcedo parking lot, the shared Salcedo Tepochcali parking lot is being used as a testing facility. So yeah, that's the current function that institution is having. So just going on to the first question is, could you describe like your daily routine in the morning with your child, like pre-quarantine? And like, what were the challenges you kind of faced on a normal day? So we are not an early family. 
nobody in our family, including my kids. So she rarely wakes up. Um, so because we're on the boulevard, there are four schools. So the Pochcali starts at eight, Spry starts at 8.30, Salcedo starts at nine, and Community Link starts after that. So we are the first, the earliest of all of the four schools, and it is rough. My body does not naturally wake me up at seven in the morning. And again, same for my same for my kids, same for my partners. Um, so it's very honestly kind of always been a little bit of a struggle for us to get to school on time. Tapochkali is a very supportive, family-oriented, small school, you know, it's small school environment. And so there are a certain amount of forgiving about showing up less than 10 minutes late, <laughs> but we typically walk in right at eight, if not 801, 802. Um, uh, which again is okay. They, you, you know, you grab breakfast. There's some time in the morning uh, to just eat breakfast, get settled, stuff like that. You know, my husband and I will kind of flip the responsibility back and forth. You know, which which with uh, whose turn is it to get up? A lot of times that has to do with our schedules. So I've been working at home for a number of years now, and most of what he does is from home as well. So it kind of depends on you know, do I have to stay up late working on something? And if and if so, you know. Okay, so the other question is like, could you now describe how remote learning is during quarantine and like what's your routine or like what are the challenges you face? Like kind of, you know, making sure your child is paying attention and stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting when at the end of last year, it was awkward and it was a weird switch, right? And there was just a lot of unknowns, but there were, they also, the, the amount of screen time was pretty limited, right? So she was really only touching base with her teacher a couple times a week in person. Um, and we were mostly just following along. So it was a lot, a lot of the learning was really directed by parents through like, they would give us a list of things that needed to get done, but um, weren't being, you know, obviously very strict about, well, at least at the Pochkeli there, it wasn't like everything, you know, uh, it was really like, let's support each other. We're going to get through this. Let's stay healthy and happy. And, um, and that's, that's, that certainly has continued um, at the Pochkeli. So again, the focus on social, emotional well-being and just again getting through this as a, as a collective you know is really important at the Boschkali. So the end of the school year feels very different than this one. I was worried when she did an after school program or like a summer program with the, our teacher who's awesome and who she loves. It was 3 hours for I think 3 days a week and she had a hard time with being on the screen for 3 hours straight. Um and I was like, "Oh no, I started like dreading what remote learning was going to look like when it was, you know, every day all the, like potentially the full school year and so far actually it's been pretty smooth the way that her teacher decided to set this up and every teacher is playing around with different structures but she has uh she goes from 8 to 9 30 so just an hour and a half the longest time that she's on a, on a screen is an hour and a half so she she does 8 to 9 30 the schedule is like right in front of me i had to make like a like a chart 8 to 9 30 and then uh she has a big break and then 12 to 1 30 and then she has like a half an hour of either library art gym uh after that and then she has after school programs after that so uh she's she's got big breaks her teacher's been doing kind of like clubs that can be more social so that um so that students can have time when it's not you know really structured learning and those so she can jump on those or not so she's been participating in some of those that limiting to like an hour and a half at a time i think is really working for her and having the big break uh i think is also really helpful so it hasn't been that bad and she's been i think there are a couple other things that really help her feel connect like that's making this easier um she's in one of the smaller classes at the Boschali. It, you know the, a lot of that just has to do with enrollment right you end up sometimes with like not enough fourth graders to have two classes but like too many to have an ideal class size 
but her class since she started has been one of the smaller ones in the building. So that helps. And there are no new students in her class. And again, I'm really thankful that we are in a school that isn't, you know, that doesn't really focus on like strict discipline, you know, where it's like, this is what we need you to do in front of the camera, etc. So yeah, so she's just on and off of the screen all day long, right? For for homeroom, for her additional classes, and then for after school stuff, and actually even on Saturdays. So the next question is, um, like, as a parent, what was your main concern about remote learning and, you know, just the dynamics of it? My biggest fear, I think, was... Maybe. I don't know that was my fear, Naya, actually. I guess we didn't really talk about our fears. Um... Yeah, I think it is going well. You're right. Naya, can you jump back in your class, please? I know you're taking a little breather. Um, we do do that sometimes, right? We're like, Naya, get, get back in class. But again, she seems to be pretty able to jump in and jump out. And when she jumps out, it seems like she's... I think, though, that, that was my biggest fear, right? That she just wasn't... That she was going to be really resistant um, with just being... You are... Naya, can you... No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I imagine this is part of every one of the interviews you've done with parents is their kids like in and out. And so, but yeah, I think my biggest fear was that she was going to really re be resistant and that she was going to have a really hard time and like just not want to be inter engaging this way. But um, that so far hasn't been the case. I mean, I think my, you know, I mean, we talked about this, right? Like my bigger fear in general is what this means for families across the neighborhood and across the city, right? And and families that are just super struggling for all the reasons. This is my, this is Naya. Oh yeah, that's right. She has um, wireless headphones now. Uh, again, her dad is very tech savvy. And so like, it's easy for her to be, to have all these options. And again, like I was telling you, I was talking to this single mom of seven kids, six of them are in CPS, who was just like headphones. That's what I need, right? Cause my kid, like, I can't have six people. <laughs> like, I was like, is your internet working? Like, is that even functioning? Cause think about that. I mean, to have six people on video chat at the same time, that's that you need some pretty intense internet connectivity for that. Um, so I worry about that a lot more. Like I worry about what's going on in all the houses near me and across the neighborhood and all my friends, um, friends and, but I mean, um, I, work at, I work at a community organization in the neighborhood and I also am connected to um, a group of like volunteer, we're just a group of residents. It's just a volunteer run, uh, volunteer led group. And we've been doing a lot more like direct support for uh, community members and accessing resources and yeah, helping. Um, so anyway, it's just uh, both at work and with my volunteer stuff. Uh, it's just, there's, it's really, I mean, this whole pandemic has been, things were difficult before and they are much more difficult for lots and lots of families now. So yeah, that's, that's more of my like bigger worry than I think things are going pretty smoothly for us. Like what deficiencies, what deficiencies remote learning has shown in low income communities like Little Village, like since you're a parent and you converse with other parents like what are their main struggles or issues with this you know i mean as as you know lots of parents are essential workers um and so that's a huge uh issue you know it's interesting too because i keep saying this as well that like it's not as though 
school answer like it's not as though school the way that it was structured before necessarily addressed all the needs like the child care needs that families had in little village because i mean we're a community that people work first second third shift right like not everybody's working between school hours right so it isn't as though like so and and you know so we have like we have a child care it, we have we have formal and informal childcare infrastructure in the community that has always kind of been addressing those needs. If, if you need to be out of the house at five, then your kids need to be somewhere, and then those then that childcare provider is usually the one taking them to school, right? Things like that. Number of essential workers that are struggling through this, I mean, and that aren't home, right, to be supporting uh, their children with remote learning, and and then you know then needing to lean on the whoever you're leaning on for childcare. Um, and obviously childcare got much more difficult to find when we were all told that we really should stay home and not interact with other people. So, I mean, that's just a huge issue, right? And uh, again, childcare has always been a struggle. Childcare is also really expensive. Childcare providers like home-based childcare providers barely make a living, but it's still so expensive for families. There are subsidies that you can access, but you know, there's all kinds of issues around documentation status, around whether or not daycare providers are licensed or not, and therefore, you know, um, eligible to receive the subsidies, etc. So anyway, that's a huge issue. You know, we're a very dense community with large families. So the other issue of like, not straight up just not having enough space in the house for everyone to be able to sit on on the computer and focus, you know, is a huge issue. Like I said, just the, the basic things of like not even having enough headphones for all the people that need to do that. So at least they can have, you know, it doesn't mean that it's easy to focus when you got five other people across the table talking, but it helps. Um, yeah, connectivity, you know, I mean, access to technology, familiarity with technology, access and familiarity with the internet is a huge. So far in a lot of the conversations that I've had, it does seem like a lot of people are getting connected through the Chicago Connected Initiative. And there have been some local organizations, including Enlace and, and a number of other partners that, so, oh, right, I, that's right, I work for Enlace. I don't know that I said that specifically, but anyway, that's the community organization that I work for work with. And um, so it does seem like people are getting that access to internet early on. It was, I think two people are getting into certain kinds of grooves with this, but early on, yeah, people were having struggling with it crashing a bunch with, if you have three, four, you know, kids on at the same time. Um, like, how do you keep the relationship with like parents and teachers? Like, how do you com communicate with them? And, you know, kind of the interactions between that. So yeah, I have regular contact with the teacher with the uh, with the teacher. I have Pretty regular contact also with the principal because, um, so, you know, the pandemic EBT, like the link card for that was connected to the, the money that students would have been getting, like the, we, we were all eligible to get money for like the lunches that our kids aren't getting in school. Um, and so there were some issues for some reason, Taposhkali was showing up as not being eligible. So I've been having a lot of back and forth with her trying to fix that problem, right? <laughs> Going through uh, organizations that do advocacy within DHS and blah, 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 blah. So, and that's actually pretty typical. Like I have a lot of advocacy, policy, structural kind of conversations with the principal. That's That's been true for a long time. Um, I still have a good amount of interaction with a lot of the TSEP parent leaders and the, like people connected to TSEP. They've been doing, they've been out every Thursday, actually, most of the day on the boulevard with resources and, and information and lots of things. So I haven't made it out every Thursday, but they've been present and um, um, and then, you know, I'm friends with a number of her classmates, parents and other 
parents at the school. I was friends with them before, but and then there are additional people that I'm friends with. One of her best friends lives like a block away. And so there have been a couple of times when I'll grab him and we'll go to the park or his mom will come and grab her and they'll go to the park, try to do a little mask, social distance park time. Okay, that's great. Okay, so the last question is, what are ways you would like a C- you would like CPS to guide parents under remote learning? I don't know. Getting me talking about CPS is maybe never the best thing. I think that, like, I'll, I'll reiterate something that I said earlier that I think is actually right now just kind of more, Im- not important, but in terms of communication with parents, right now I feel like the schools themselves and the staff and organizations that are connected to local schools are doing a pretty good job of really doing everything they can to try to support and reach out to and connect with and communicate with families, right? Um, And I think that that will continue to happen and that's important. In fact, I think that, and I always say this about about the principal at the Boschkali, is that I think that a lot of schools play the role of really buffering families against all the CPS, right? Um, some schools are better at it than others. And some principals just, you know, once you've been here longer, it's easier to push back or really know how to respond when CPS comes through with some crazy. Because I think CPS overall has been not doing a great job of communicating or support. Like, you know, even just the way, even before it was before we started the year, you know, I mean, it was just like, really, how long do you think you can wait before you tell us what's like, before you start planning before, I feel like year after year, you know, as a parent, with a student in the school, but also as someone who like works in with organizations and just is connected to schools, local schools, it feels like it's just every year. It's like, what's the experiment they're going to be doing on us this year? You know, like what dumb thing are they going to try without having anyone at the table making that decision that actually could tell them how the dumb thing would roll out, you know, like what now, you know, but yeah, the communication was really confusing over the summer. And I remember like, so they'll send like a survey that is really just, that is to like get feedback. Right. And it's important to respond to but I remember not responding because I looked at the survey and I was like, I don't even know what to say to a lot of these questions. They they don't have answers. Like there's just, there wasn't enough information to be able to respond to that. So anyway, there's this survey that to get information about, to, to you know, supposedly inform where they're going that goes through email and text and whatever, uh, which is already tricky, right? In terms of people opening it up and maybe their phone can't really handle that, whatever. And then there's a survey that comes out after that and they call it a survey again. But it's the survey that came out when we were supposed to opt in or opt out, right? Before they made the decision to go. And so parents at that point, this is they're thinking this is another survey that is like optional, right? But no, this is like totally required, but like nobody's responding, right? Like, and especially in communities of color. So I was on a number of calls uh, with the, like the, the area, like chief, they keep changing their names. <laughs> but anyway, and she just kept saying, no one's responding, you know, from like from Network 7, like no one's responding. So but again, like none of these things are very surprising. Like CPS has a history of not having the interest or the resources to like engage our communities well making very top-down decisions that aren't well-informed that screw us over. And um, so I, I don't, 
we're not surprised. I don't think about how CPS behaves anymore because at this point we're pretty like used to it, which again, I don't think is a good thing. I mean, and, and that doesn't mean that any of us stop advocating for it to be better or calling out and, and, and addressing bad behavior or constantly pushing for better policy and systems within CPS, but really kind of outlined um, besides the safety issues, like here are all the other reasons not to go in person and you know what it was going to take we're constantly told we don't have the budget to run a basic school system, to do the basics, the basics, right? Just have a nurse in every school full time, right? Like have books that are up to date, right? Like we're constantly, we, we don't have these basic resources. What it was going to take to try to pay for the version of like hybrid that included in-person learning was insane. For six months, we're going to blow this budget that we apparently like don't have anyway to be in person for six months and potentially put a whole lot of people at risk. Why would we do that? You know, so I think we're th it's the same. You know, I, I feel like we're going to continue to come up against that. Um, and I think we're going to continue to be like gas lighted. I don't know if it's gas lit or gas lighted, but we're going to be we're going to continue to be told that like this is for the most vulnerable students and families, right? That's that's who we're doing this for, right? When those are not the people at the table making the decisions and that is not who we're doing this for. Um, and I I worry about that. Do I want CPS to not? Yes, I do. Uh, but I, we're just going to have to keep advocating and fighting and pushing. And I, if not for the kind of advocacy that happened when they originally said that we were that we were going in for a hybrid learning model, I, we would have just rolled right into that. Right. But like the C CTU was like, hell's no community organizations across the city were like, hell's no. And a lot of like parents said, hell's no. Right. And so we we just need to keep holding CPS as accountable as we can. And, and um, we'll be back in school at some point, I believe. I don't know that it will ever look the same, but, you know, hopefully it doesn't because school didn't work for most, you know, I mean, school isn't set up to work for most of our families and students. So I hope we find a better, different, different way of, of doing this. So never a simple response for me. My kids here, she's going to just go blah, blah, blah and make, make fun of me as I talk. That's what she does. So she's gonna. I hate remote learning. Yeah. Why do you hate remote learning? Cause, because we used to go to recess and lunch, and now we can't do any of those things. Yeah. And it's even harder because when we need help, like everybody's doing their stuff that they usually do when I'm at school, so nobody can help me, and the teacher can't really help. Naya, so one of the questions I have for you, like, what are the what are the things you miss well, you miss about school? I miss going to recess. I miss actually seeing my friends, getting to talk to them. But like in class, like you can't talk to your friends without everybody else hearing, you know. And also, like we've been having problems with the chat. Like kids started just writing random words in the like the chat. I use the same, like, I, I use Google Meet, like, for my class. So, teacher, my teacher taught us how to, like, do commands on the computer to, like, mute and unmute and turn off your camera and turn on your camera. But that been kind of being a problem because people accidentally leave the call, like, control W, and then we leave. But I really miss going to lunch and finding curly fries because the curly fries have like this good seasoning on them. 
But they also sometimes have emoji fries that are shaped as emojis. I just miss those things at school. And have you been able to concentrate in like during your Google Meets session with your teacher? No, I just walk around the house. For the, the goal for me is not to concentrate, basically. Everybody's in their beds, but my dad won't let me go somewhere where, like, I can lay down because he thinks I'm going to fall asleep. And, like, mm-hmm. he won't let me go on my bed. He won't let me go on the couch. He won't let me go anywhere. He, like, when my mom makes me beds on the floor, he won't let me lay down in them. He only lets me sit in them. Your mom mentioned that you were taking after school, like, programs like how how does that work for you now well i didn't really like it before because i never i didn't like it at school but i definitely don't like it right now either i don't really like after school programs okay no (laughs) hey you entered my interview you're like me i want to say this about my daughter though no too cool for school since she was in pre-k okay so i'll ask you one last question is what are the things you like about remote learning i don't like anything i like that you can stay home though like you can pick where you want to sit but i don't really like anything else about remote learning it's just boring i mean i like that i don't have to work so many hours in a day but but i miss seeing my friends and talking to them without everybody hearing it. Because, like, sometimes teachers send us in breakout rooms. But she only sends us in breakout rooms to to go on little groups to do, like, um school projects. But you don't get to pick who you're with. Talk, but but she only gives us, like, like 10 minutes to, so like, 2 minutes. Welcome back. I really hope you enjoyed this interview. Well, I definitely did. Uh, I just want to talk more about specifically, you know, how um, Simone pointed out that her experiences might might differ from a household of six children and how essential, you know, just even having a pair of headphones could really make the difference in like inner child's education and in specifics to that. I found that that was really interesting, but definitely it was like, you know, just seeing how you know, a pair of headphones could make so much of a difference and, you know, just how how different, you know, education is from, like, parent to parent. Definitely, if, like, we're having trouble, you know, remote learning, it's obviously very hard for everyone and just talking more currently, we're, well, at least for me, I, well, the first semester is almost ending, so meaning um, for a lot of kids, they're, like, in their second quarter, going to third quarter and, you know, who would have thought that, you know, we would have spent probably half the school year and just staring at a screen, so it is definitely a very different, you know, perspective and just something that I would, maybe I would say my experience is something I would have never thought I would get accustomed to. Um, Obviously, it is very hard for everyone, you know, every, and it also differs from person to person. But, you know, this is currently being recorded um during my winter break and I think everyone's winter break who, you know, goes in CPS. So I would suggest that, you know, enjoy your holidays and, you know, enjoy the free time you have right now and just become more energized for the for next year so as for that and that kind of wraps the end of the show so whoever's listening until next year and you'll get a new, another episode of cps but just we survived 2020 and hopefully 2021 is way better than this horrific year but yeah i'll leave you guys and this was cruel public schooling and i am your host melissa and i hope you enjoy your holidays 
This was another episode of CPS. Cruel Public Schooling. Ah!